Welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast, your guide to help you manage life, money, and multiples. Each episode, host Paul Fenner, Tama Capital's president and founder, and the proud parent of four amazing children, including one set of triplets, will provide insights on successfully sustaining an active lifestyle, career, and family through comprehensive wealth management strategies, financial education, and lifestyle planning specific to parents raising twins, triplets, and more. Learn more, subscribe to the show, or connect with Paul at TamaCapital.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Tama may retain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Do you know what financial aid optimization is or what it even means? Or what about the tax on financial aid implications of taking money out of a retirement account and the impact it could cause your financial aid. In part three of our three-part series focused on college planning, we dive deep into the financial aspects of sending your kids off to college. Specifically in this episode, we're going to address savings, how schools optimize their financial aid packages, loans, and much more. And again, as I pointed out in our first two um, series, Ron's Lee, Ron Lieber's book, The Price You Pay for College, is a terrific resource and tool, one that I highly recommend uh, you picking up. Um, it's, it's a must read, I think, for all parents, no matter what age your kids are, because it'll get you thinking about a lot of the topics that we've covered over this three-part series on the college planning process. So what is enrollment management and financial aid optimization? Well, the financial aid office may decide how much money your family needs, but it's the admissions office that potentially decides how much merit aid you deserve. And more importantly, what they think it will take to get you to commit to their school. In some ways, college you know, financial aid optimization is much like we, we call it in the business world, dynamic pricing or the best illustration is an airline. So when you get on an airplane, you don't know necessarily what the person paid next to you for their ticket, but more than likely it could be very different depending on when you booked. So think about an empty classroom, a seat, a dorm bed, the same way with that airline seat you, you would view. Both are useless when the plane pushes back from the gate or the semester begins. So enrollment management causes calls for using data to figure out which students to recruit and how to woo them. This is at the heart of what is called financial aid optimization. Schools only want to discount as much as they need to to have a family say yes and not $1 more. Especially for people living in affluent zip codes, you know, a $10,000, $15,000 scholarship, and I'm using air quotes, probably makes them feel good enough about themselves about not having to pay full price to be able to pull the trigger and send their kids to that school. If you want to learn more about Merit Aid and what the schools post on its financial aid web pages, the best place to look is, is at is what's called common data set. The CDS is a standardized form that schools use to collect all the data from the various college guides, ranking publications. It's really a treasure trove of information, um, but 
like most things that we've talked about, it's going to be rare that the college encourages applicants to check it out. And the easiest way to uh, find this information is, of course, to Google it. So you can go to Google, put in common data set, and then put the name of the school or vice versa. Either way, it should work. And then all sorts of information should be available. And this should be table stakes when you're starting to narrow down that list of schools that your kids are looking at going to. Another very useful resource that I've found uh, through Ron's book is a company called Tuition Fit. And it was started by Mark Salisbury, who, who I've had on the podcast. And I will we'll link to that, that conversation in the show notes. But we've, I've actually you know, formed a partnership with, with Mark and his firm. And Tuition Fit is really unique. It's a free exchange where you share your financial aid offers. And by using your fin- actual financial aid offer, actual data from students' financial aid letters, it allows you to compare what other people are paying. So going back to that example of how I mentioned the airline, you're, like, you're in a seat, person's in a seat next to you, you don't necessarily know what they paid. Well, when it comes to college, you can find out, you can now know what somebody else paid. And you can even streamline it to figure out, okay, well, what did somebody else pay that had good grades compared to you know, my son or daughter that had good grades or you know, where you live? So it's, it's another avenue to be able to compare, but it's unique in the fact that it's, not, it's using actual data. You could also think of this, as Mark likes to say, tuition fit, is the Kelly Blue Book of college pricing. So savings. Savings is often a hot topic uh, when it comes to the college planning process. And I'll be the first to tell you that it's rare that a family regrets putting some money away for higher education. And an even rarer one that a family wishes they save less. I've really yet, in, in all the years I've been working in financial planning, uh, to come into a situation where a family said, well, darn, we saved way too much. We, I wish we would have you know, cut back on that. But what making a, a savings plan does is it creates an emotional boost. And this is something I talk with people all the time when it comes to financial planning. It's not just about the numbers. There's a very emotional component to the financial decisions we make. And Lord knows that making the decision where to go to college is one of the most emotional decisions that you're going to make with your teenager. Let's keep that in mind. These are teenagers, not even adults yet. Um, And it's going to be one of the most financial impact decisions that you're going to make potentially as a parent and your kid's going to make as a student. So, Doing it bit by bit is the best formula that I have found because it reinforces the fact that you're at least doing something. And doing something, no matter how small it may be, feels a whole lot better than doing nothing. And that savings becomes habit forming. And any progress helps bring on a sense of well-being. You know, as I noted in part one where I talk about what families are up against, 
You know, we're trying to balance these multiple financial and lifestyle priorities. So when it comes to saving for, for families, people often ask me, well, how much should I save? And without getting in any, into any numbers, I tell people, save as much as you reasonably can. Remind yourself that there are very few American families that can save enough to pay for a full four years of college. The other misnomer that I want to smash right now is, well, if I save in a 529 or whatever vehicle I want, it's going to hurt me when it comes to my need-based financial aid. And I'm here to tell you that that is not true. The government expects your family to contribute 5.64% of your non-retirement savings each year for the cost of college. So think about it. If you save $10,000 in a 529 plan, the government's formula will expect you to pay out $564 of that during the first year of college. So again, it goes back to the point I previously made where people should do the, the best they can. But again, I've never had anybody regret not saving for college. And why is that? It gives you optionality. And I'll, I'll come back to that in a minute. But what I want to address right now are options that could hurt your family. And saving is not one of them. I often get asked, well, you know, I, I don't have the money. I'm going to pull it out of retirement accounts. That's where I have to take a big time out. I would think twice about this unless you are certain that you have more than enough save for retirement. Or you don't have some other better way to pay for college. So suppose you pull money from a traditional or Roth retirement account for college or 401k. Um, When you pull that money out, it's going to count as income as part of the financial aid calculation process. Income is the primary subject that financial aid officers examine most carefully when determining eligibility for need-based aid. So you, you think that pulling that money out is going to help you bridge a gap and while it may bridge that gap, and maybe it's the only way that you can do it. I'm not saying that don't do it if that's the only reason. Everybody's situation is different. But what I am telling you that though is that pulling money out of a qualified retirement account will generate income taxable income. And that's my next point. Is there's a plethora of tax consequences to consider when taking money out of a traditional IRA or a traditional 401k or 403b or 457. You know, taking money out, you may not realize could lead you into a even higher tax bracket. Because again, you're you're taking money that has never been taxed before and now including it in your income on top of your W-2 income or however you get paid, that has the ability to push you up into higher income tax brackets. 
So the next question I often get is, well, what about taking a loan from a 401k or a 403b if that's an option for you? The problem with that is that you're likely taking out funds at a time when the power of compounding would be working most in your favor. So you've worked, you know, m- you know, years, maybe even decades, building your assets up over time, and those balances are becoming larger and larger, and it creates that snowball effect where they're building your your retirement assets are building much faster. At, towards the end of retirement, towards the end of your working years than they are at the beginning. The beginning is hard because it's just hard to get savings. But at the end, you, you've, you've done the heavy lifting. You've made the, the sacrifices. And now you can see your assets growing faster at, at, a, at a faster clip. And so taking that money out when it could be compounding even faster could really sabotage your retirement plans. So, our five when so when it comes to savings, our 529 plans the best savings vehicle. And in my mind, the answer is yes. And there are multiple significant advantages when it comes to a 529 plan. So, first and foremost, you pay no federal income taxes neither income taxes nor capital gains. As long as these um, assets are being used for a qualified expense, which could be tuition and room and board. Second, most states will offer some type of tax deduction or credit for putting money into a 529 plan. If you save in a regular brokerage account, you'll not only pay taxes on your gains, but though, again, those gains will count towards your income, which financial aid administrators examine when it comes to your ability to pay. The more income that you're showing, the less aid you're going to get. And again, point number three, psychological. There is just something psychologically about having money and reserves that gives you more options. And this is the point I want to come back to right now that I mentioned before. More options mean less stress. So again, it's something reassuring about having money sitting there in a 529, knowing that you've set it aside for this specific purpose. You know, I I personally find this incredibly helpful. And I know in, in working with families for 20 plus years, they feel that same relief, that that peace of mind that we did everything we could. We've got money sitting here to help our kids. Maybe it's enough. Maybe it's not enough. But we can look each other in the mirror and know that we did the best we can. And finally, fourth, when it comes to 529s, they are the most flexible when it, when it comes to saving for college in, in a couple different ways. So you can contribute whenever you want and virtually any amount you want. And here's the real kicker. Anybody can contribute. So even when I start working with a young family and they're like, we just can't afford to put any money into a 529 at this point. I'm like, that's okay. Let's open one anyways. Because would your parents, would grandparents be interested in contributing? So for a holiday 
a birthday, rather than giving you know toys, why don't throw why don't a grandparent throw 25, 50 bucks into a 529 plan? Would they be interested in doing that? What about aunts and uncles, godparents, you know, friends, just friends and family in general? And so I really encourage parents to set up a 529 plan, even though they may not be contributing to themselves right away. So that that's the four key, I think, differentiators when it comes to 529s being the best vehicle. Now, they do vary from state to state. Some are better than others. And so there's some detail that you have to dig into to see which state may be better. Again, it usually works out better when you contribute to the state that you reside in, but that's not always the case. There are some states that have 529 plans that have terrible investment options and charge extremely high fees. So it may make sense going to a different state. And that's something that we help walk our families through when going through the college planning process. So now let's move to understanding student loans. And as much as we want to avoid debt, you know, a reasonable amount of debt, student debt, is not going to ruin people's lives when they finish college, especially if that debt gets them into an undergraduate school where they're going to learn a lot, they're going to find their friends, and they stand a decent chance of getting a job in a field that they think will suit them. So if you can check all those boxes, then you know, if if you have to take loans, then it's it's okay. It's not the end of the world. But I think everybody needs to understand how the student loan system works. So first, there's what's called there's really three types of loans. The first is federal or direct loans. So this is money that that undergraduates get. They borrow that borrow it themselves alone and they borrow it directly from the from the federal government. The second type of loan is a private loan. So this is money that a student borrows from a financial institution such as Sally Mae, a bank, credit union. Today it's nearly impossible to get one without a parent or another adult co-signing for the loan. So if if you're co-signing for a private loan, just know that you're promising that you will make good on this debt. And if you don't, then you risk blowing up your credit score. The third type of loan is a parent plus loan. And that's money that parents can borrow from the federal government. And it's through private entities like a bank. And they typically have their different versions of it. But it all falls under this uh, direct parent plus loan. So depending on a family's level of financial need, a school will offer the applicant or your student two types of federal loans, subsidized or unsubsidized. So subsidized means that the government is going to cover interest payments while the student is, is enrolled in school. Unsubsidized means that interest starts adding up immediately. However, you can make interest payments or you can start making payments after college. So people can qualify for a federal unsubsidized student loan no matter how much money their parents you 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 make as parents. 
Um, but you are required to complete the FAFSA form, the, the free financial aid form, um, to access the program. So currently, the federal government will allow undergraduates to borrow up to $27,000 during their first four years of college and $31,000 in total. If families feel you know, compelled to take on debt, they should ask themselves the following questions. One, is this the only way that our kids can get the education that they need? Two, is the school who's putting parent plus loans into the award letter something that you need to be aware about? Is that, again, the only way to be able to pay for this? Is the classroom experience or the income out or, or the ability to earn an income at that chosen school superior to other options that you may be considering where you may not have to take on as much debt? Is the quality of, of, the, of the life experience on campus worth the cost? Does a school represent that necessary degree or is it just an upgrade in, in lifestyle? So I got a full ride to you know, uh, a state school, but yet I really wanted to go to an out-of-state school where I, where I would have to pay out-of-state tuition. I wouldn't get as much financial aid. Is that worth it? That's, that's an, ex- an example of what I'm talking about. So as, we, as I begin to close out this part three of the college planning process and this three-part series overall, I think we still want to come back to what kind of college do we want for our kids? You know, there, as Ron Lieber put in his book, there isn't a pamphlet that reads, this is why this college or university is worth $50,000 extra a year. There's no algorithm or formula or calculation that's going to be able to tell you how to measure value, especially when a school's price tag for four years is $200,000 or $300,000 more than another school. You know, just as every teenager is different, all schools are different as well. And they're not that great at articulating why they may be worth $200,000 or $300,000 more than another school. You know, there, there are institutions that make our kids smarter who helped them find the people that could, they couldn't otherwise find, you know, in the world. And, you know, to be a part of an alumni network that helps teach real skills that employers value and and network. There is a hope for families trying, there is hope for families trying to find the best fit for their kids from tackling cruel, the cruel optimism effect that we talked about in part one, and now in making smart financial decisions. This hope comes from knowing what to ask and understanding how the schools pull financial levers behind the scenes. And most critical, you working with your kids on putting a plan together. And that plan could start as early as elementary school by setting up a 529 plan or as late as high school years and determining what can we afford 
and where could you best fit that we talked about in part two. But through, through the, our college planning process at TAMA, we get to know and understand your families so that we can help understand what you want from college. As we pointed out or asked you in part one, do you go to school to have your mind blown? Do you go to school to find your people? Or do you go to school to uh, get a, you know, a, the, the degree that gets you the job? Or is it a combination of those? And how do you weight them? We develop and work through a list of questions for you and your kids and the schools that they may be interested in attending to help determine what's the best fit for your family. We develop various projections based on when you start saving, how much your investments may earn, and what the cost of college may be. That's the technical part of what we do. We, we go and scenario after scenario after scenario to try to give you options without overwhelming you to figure out, again, what's the best fit both emotionally and financially. And last, as I mentioned earlier, you know, we've partnered with a firm like Tuition Fit where we will review award letters and financial aid packages and compare them to other schools to see how similar situations to yours makes you more informed to make the best possible decision. So at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is take the emotional and financial guesswork out of what it takes to plan for college and ultimately help you, your kids, your family create peace of mind when it comes to this tremendous life decision. If you would like to connect with us, the best resource to do that would be to go to our website, tamacapital.com. You know, on our website, you can find a lot more information about college. We've had several podcast about uh, college where we've interviewed experts. We've done this three-part series. Um, I've done a lot of writing about it. Um, on our website, though, if you're interested, you can uh, schedule a complimentary discovery meeting where we can talk through you know, what it is that you're looking for and how we may be able to help. I certainly have enjoyed putting together this three-part series, and I have hoped that you have the ability to take away something of value that makes you and your family think about what it is we want from college, how can we pay for college, and how can we find that peace of mind in making the best decision. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Please visit TamaCapital.com to subscribe to this podcast or to connect with certified financial planner and registered investment advisor, Paul Fenner of Tama Capital. And please join us again next time on the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Mm-hmm.